Hello, hi, Mzanzi, and welcome back to another episode of Sisters Without Shame, proudly brought to you by Healthful Mzanzi. I'm your host, Nolutano Ngakani, and I'm here to hold your hand as you seek the answers to those medical shames and woes you dare not speak of in public. Whose shame, it's been a rocky and very scary three years. One thing that has remained consistent, though, is that January anxiety. Money taps have frozen, and it is back to being frugal and pinching your pennies. Also, if you are a parent, you probably have polonies to buy for those school lunchboxes. Like Jennifer from Cape Town who writes to us this week. She writes, Our world is now one where locking yourself away for 10 days regular tests and trying by all means to avoid a potentially life-threatening virus is just the reality of our day-to-day. Something I have realized in these last years is how picky my kids have become in terms of their lunches. I am a mom of two, a son and a daughter. My boy lost a few kilos, while my daughter just seems to be growing and growing every day. How do you get this food thing right, Mara? Are they eating enough? What foods can I give them to also help them stay focused at school? Don't worry, Miss Jenny Swere Gotswere. This week, we are joined by Jason van Heerden, a registered dietitian from Pretoria who also happens to specialize in childhood and sport nutrition. It's a new year and schools are opening soon. Um, can you explain what brain foods are and, and, and why kids would need them? Yeah, so when I look at the term brain foods, because, you know, especially your parents, you can imagine want the best for their children. And in order for them to function the best, they would think almost like supplements. You know, we eat food and we take supplements for sports to perform the best. But now we actually need to look at the foundation of it. So let's say, for example, you're taking supplements for sports, but your diet is very bad, is that the supplements are not really going to help that much. You get far much more better results looking at your diet. So I would actually like us to look at the foundation of, you know, what is a healthy diet for kids for optimal brain function? And what are some specific areas for us to look at that really make an impact? So you must remember that 30 to 40% of our glucose, so the sugar in our blood, the brain is using. So the thing is, is that if a child or anyone for that matter doesn't have stable blood sugar levels, let's say, for example, they're sweets and not eating enough, they're having lots of cool drink and their blood sugar is up and down, that is going to have a profound effect on their brain. So we first want to be making sure that we're having stable blood sugar levels meaning that we're eating healthy foods regularly through the day, that we don't have any sugar dips happening in the day. Now, also second of all from your foundation is going to be making sure that you have enough protein because if you don't have enough protein, that first of all, that will also keep you full, but it's also so important for kids to grow. And we've definitely seen that kids that are malnourished, not getting enough protein or not growing as they should, that has much more of an effect than any brain food could help ever. So we first want to make sure we're eating enough. We want to make sure that we're having enough protein in the day. Uh, you know, but then we also want to be looking at our fats, actually. So one of the biggest things that actually affect our brain health and even our eyes, our nerves, is going to be our essential fatty acids. And there's two very important ones that I want us to look at. So look, the main one is going to be omega-3. So omega-3, and that is even broken down into something called EPA and DHA. And basically what those two things are, 
That is what we actually need for healthy covering of the nerves for the nerves to actually work properly, which the brain works a lot on. So, but where can we get omega-3? One of the best sources is going to be our fish, our nice fatty fish. So that's going to be, for example, our pilchards and sardines and our tuna and our hake. You know, a great source is salmon, but I mean, that's so expensive. I've never actually given that to any of my clients. I said, rather focus on getting in enough, um, you know, healthy fish, like I said, tuna, sardines, hake, even like that you know, through the week. Because let's say, for example, you don't like fish. What you can even do is look at an omega-3 supplement that you can get. So, and even if someone is vegan or vegetarian, there are, let's say, vegan and vegetarian omega-3 supplements we can look at, but we can also get some omega-3 in some of our nuts. We can get it in avocado as well. That's the kind of basis for everything, making sure that our blood sugar levels are stable, making sure that we have enough food to grow and have enough protein. And third of all, we want to be looking at our fatty acids. So especially our omega-3. The other one is omega-6, but we normally get that in abundance. For example, sunflower oil and a lot of our vegetable oils are actually quite high in omega-6. It's very rare for someone omega-6 deficiency, but omega-3 is definitely the big one. But now that's our foundation. So now to go into the brain food type of things, to actually go back to your question, is that our B vitamins are quite important. So that is going to be in our whole grains. So let's say, for example, our, you know, our bread, and we can look at all bran, we can look at oats, and then we can also then look at our fruits and vegetables, especially our green leafy vegetables, like our spinach and cabbage, and even some of our fruits, even things like raisins are quite high, nuts are quite high in B vitamins. So that's outside would be your second layer and then the last one is going to be water and you wouldn't think superfood and water you think jason did you hear the question properly but yes if you are dehydrated even by one percent that has a significant effect on your brain capacity and functioning so you know we really want to be looking at that as well so those are kind of the three tiers that i would go into with regards to brain health and brain foods also, what you're saying actually also makes me think of, you know, this triple burden that we have in this country of the malnutrition, the obesity of the kids. These are quite simplified ways of kind of navigating brain foods even for everybody, you know. And that is a massive misconception is that if someone, especially children, is overweight, we wouldn't think that they're malnourished. But it is very possible for an overweight kid to have low protein, low omega-3, low B vitamins, and be dehydrated. So we mustn't just think it's the very thin kids that need to add these extra brain foods. No, it's all children, no matter the shape and size. And then also, Jason, we know that children need plenty of fruits and vegetables. Can we please talk about the reasons why a varied diet is essential? And also, maybe can you explain how to ensure that you are making sure that your kids have a balanced diet, even when you have like a picky eater at, at home? Especially with kids, they really learn with textures and consistencies and temperatures and all those good things. So variety is so important for kids from a texture standpoint. It's very, very good for development of the brain as well to have these different textures and consistencies. But, but what comes with that is that, and I understand it, I really, really do understand it, is parents will give, let's say, carrots to their kids three times and the kids don't eat it and they say, oh, my kid doesn't like carrots, I'm never going to give it to them, maybe when they're older. But the thing is, if you're looking at the science, is that you really want to take anywhere between 14 and 21 times for exposure for a kid to actually really fully develop and understand exactly what's in their mouth. 
So I will tell my, my clients that are struggling with fussy eating, look for the next 15 days, you are going to be putting that piece of carrot on that plate. They do not need to eat it. They do not need to even touch it. They just need to look at it. And normally with kids is that they will go and explore. So the one day have it whole, one day have it mashed, you know, change it up a little bit. Kids will kind of over time learn to eat it. But a big tip is don't just tell the kids, look, once you're done eating, you can run off. You must say, look, you must sit here for 10 minutes. And if the carrot's the only thing left on their plate, they normally play around with it. And after a few times, they'll start eating it. So from a fussy eater standpoint, look, that works most of the time. There's other reasons why fussy eating comes into play. But basically what you'd want to do is there's a rule of three. So a third of the plate you want to have of what the kid loves. So if they love meat, if they love butternut, if they love pumpkin, put that there. The other third is going to be something that they tolerate. So let's say, for example, they like rice, they'll have a little bit, not too much. But, you know, you want to, if the one is a protein, you want to have the other one that's a starch. You know, you also want your vegetables. But let's say, because we're just using carrots as an example, you want to put the carrots there. And so we want to put something that the kids don't really actually like or don't like yet. Let's put it like that. And then through that exposure, they'll eat it. So now that's just a, a practical tip with the fussy eating. Let's talk about good versus bad sugars. You know, what is the difference? And since sugar may also be found in good foods like yogurts and fruits, is there a way to explain this and control it for us? And what is the acceptable amount Sweet the thing is we genuinely want our total intake of sugar to be less than 10% of our energy, right? This is not just a general rule of thumb, but for kids, kids need a lot of energy. I mean, they're running around the whole day and it's actually not always a bad thing for them to have a little bit of sugar, but we ideally don't want it to be, okay, you've been exercising and I'm going to reward you or the normal is going to be a sucker or a sweet, anything like that. Because the thing is that you want to condition them, okay, but if you've been exercising and you want something sweet, we ideally much rather want to be getting it from our fruit. You know, so fruit is an exceptional source of sugar. I want to use fruit as an example, because fruit, technically, the sugar in there is fructose, but it's still sugar, right? You know, one teaspoon of fructose from, let's say, an apple and one teaspoon of sucrose, which is the sugar we get in our tea and coffee. It's the same calories and it has basically the same effect on our blood sugar. But, you know, we don't really want to be having a lot of sucrose, you know, like sugar for kids because it's going to spike their energy. But what's the difference now with fructose, with fruit sugar? And that is in the sugar inside the fruit, it's in a lot of fiber. So if I give you an apple in your hand and I tell you to break that apple, I mean, it's very difficult because of all the fiber layers. You can almost imagine that as like a cardboard box and the sugar is inside all those cardboard boxes, all those different layers. So it takes a long time for the body to get to that sugar and that will not spike the kid's sugar, so to say. But if you're having fruit juice, which is fructose, but there's no fiber. So it basically absorbs it the exact same way as you would sugar from sweets. And it's going to take the kid's sugar up and then it can drop again. So that's why it's dangerous for us to say which is a better sugar, how much sugar, because it also depends where you're getting the sugar and when you are getting the sugar. Because having sugar for breakfast or having sugar before you go to bed is not a good idea. But if it's in and around exercise, you're now running around and the kids are playing a lot and they have a bit of fruit juice, that's fine. Like a little bit of a dessert, like a little sweet, you know, after supper is fine, but it shouldn't ideally be normalized to have all the sweets at every meal. But on the other hand, you might say there might be some listeners saying, but Jason, isn't the best option to have no sweets at all? 
while that is valid, you know, technically kids don't need sugar. Like they just need to eat healthy foods. But the problem is, is that if we don't teach them self-control and if we don't teach them portion sizes, like if you have fruit juice, it's this much. If you have a sweet, it's this much. If you have a piece of cake, it's this much. That when they are in a situation where, let's say if they have a friend's party, they might totally overdo it. And then they might have a sugar crash. It's not healthy for kids. So it's rather good to have it in a healthy environment, have healthy, should I say, restrictions and boundaries with sweets. Let it be part of the diet. It doesn't need to be every day at all. It might just be on the weekends or, you know, after church or something, we'll have a sweet or, you know, something like that. Parents always wonder, should they be worried if their kid isn't also eating too much or that they eat too little of food? Should that be something to be concerned about? Definitely. Because if you're not looking at kids' requirements, I mean, when I do children's diets they have an exceptional high energy requirement because they're growing i mean literally every single part of the body is growing the brain the muscles everything you know us as adults you know we've finished growing you know if you're basically 20 years old you're done growing but as a kid you don't just need energy to survive you need energy to grow still so the the thing is is that kids have an exceptionally high calorie intake need so kids normally should be eating kind of throughout the whole day. You know, we want to be having like a good breakfast. Normally, I would say on average two or three snacks. Of course, it depends on the child and their needs. Uh, you know, snacks between breakfast and lunch, have a good lunch, you know, where you're having carbs and protein and fat and our vegetables as well. And then some snacks in between lunch and supper. I normally also try and do two or three snacks over there. And maybe even supper, after supper, like a small snack, like let's say a small yogurt or a little bit of fruit, like a dessert, something like that. But getting in calories is that we normally look at the main meals, you know, so we normally have big lunch and it's like lots of starch and protein. And while that is very good, it is incredibly difficult to get in all the calories that you need from breakfast, lunch and supper. Normally, we do need to get the snacks in. Let's look at that practically. And that is that for some kids going to school is where at break when they're supposed to be eating, they want to go play soccer. You know, they want to go play sports. They want to run around with their friends. They need to finish their homework. And sometimes they're just too busy to get to it. And we focus so much on the main meals, but we've got to see how can we make food easy and accessible for kids to eat at breaks. And let's say when they're at home, and that will normally have much more of a bigger impact. Uh, there. But if the kids are not eating, is that we need to now see why. Sometimes it's stress. Like let's say kids come back from school, they're still so stressed and there's so much anxiety, is that they don't feel hungry. And to force them and to give them this environment of you will eat before you leave, it's this pressure environment which can make it more difficult. On the other hand, we don't want to say, oh no, just eat when you want to. We still want to get an environment and set routine in the day of breakfast, two snacks, lunch, two snacks, supper. But having it in an environment that lets other people are eating with, so let's say the parents or brothers and sisters and friends, they have a dedicated time where they eat, they have to sit there for 15 minutes. So even if they eat quickly or if they don't eat fast, you know, they'll kind of learn from everyone else that everyone else is eating. This is a time for me to eat. Their hunger cues normally come in and you want to work from there. Thank you for joining this week's episode of Sisters Without Shame, Jason. For more on feeding your picky kids, check out healthfilmzanzi.co.za. Now remember, if you are in a medical jam, you can send an email to hello at healthfilmzanzi.co.za or send an SOS to 076-132-0454. I would never blue tick you, babes.
Picky Eaters Beware, Jason has foolproof tips to help your mommies and daddies figure you out. Parents, also be patient. Your child's nutrition need not be frustrating. Keep it consistent, make it fun, and stick to your routine. That brings us to the end of episode 24 of Sisters Without Shame. Proudly brought to you by Healthform Zanzi. From me, Lulu Ngakani, have a great week and remember to show your girls some love by sharing this podcast with a friend.